Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from I Know a Man, Ashley Bryan, a documentary by Richard Kane and Robert Shetterly screening at Real Pizza in Bar Harbor Saturday, September 17th, 1.15 p.m. and Monday, September 19th, 6.15 p.m. Sunday, September 18th at the Camden International Film Festival, Rockport Opera House, 10 a.m. Thursday, September 22nd, Stonington Opera House, 7 p.m. Mainmasters.com. A voice of many voices, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and on the web at WERU.org, Grassroots Community Radio. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Scudic Arts for All, presenting Carol Bailey String Band on Sunday, September 18th at 2 p.m. inside Hammond Hall at 427 Main Street in Winter Harbor, scudicartsforall.org, or 963-2569. And we now go to a abbreviated version of Democracy Forum with your host, Ann Luther, from the League of Women Voters. Good morning. Welcome to the Democracy Forum. This is the seventh program in our series this election year to broadcast at this time on the third Friday of each month. Well, not exactly at this time. We're getting a little bit of a late start this morning. But today we're going to feature topics in participatory democracy, encouraging citizens to take an active role in government and politics. This program is a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Our conversation today is the Civic Mission of Public Education. We'll discuss whether inequities in public education and the failure of public schools to prepare all our children for citizenship contribute to political inequality. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. I'll be your host for the Democracy Forum, and let me introduce our guests. Joining us by phone today from Cambridge, Massachusetts, is Mira Levinson. Mira is Professor of Education at Harvard Graduate School of Education. She previously spent eight years as a teacher in the Atlanta and Boston public schools. Her book, Uh, in 2012, No Citizen Left Behind, has been called a forthright defense of schools as institution for teaching about democracy and justice. Welcome, Mira. Thank you very much. I'm really thrilled to be here. Uh, So so glad we could put it together. Also joining us by phone from his office in Rangeley, Maine, is Bill Richards. Bill is a Maine educator with diverse experience in Maine public education. He currently serves as interim superintendent at the Rangeley Lakes Regional Schools. He formerly served as associate commissioner of instruction during the McKernan administration, and he has also been the superintendent of schools in a number of other school districts and served as a school board member. Welcome, Bill. Good morning, and thank you. Okay, um, we're going to move things right along here, so let's get us started. Here's a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. Our children should learn the general framework of their government and where it touches their daily lives. It must not be a distant thing or someone else's business. They must see how every cog in the wheel of a democracy is important and bears its share of responsibility for the smooth running of the entire machine. Our question today is, are America's... Are are America's schools preparing our young people to assume their civic responsibility? Are some school systems doing a better job than others? And do those differences lead to unequal representation in government? We're going to explore these questions and more on our show today. So, Mira, let me put it to you first. Give us just a general sense of the history of public education in America and how it's been linked to universal suffrage and ideals about democracy. Uh, great. I'll try to do that quickly. Yes. Um, so, so, yeah, 
yes, American uh, public schools were founded um, in the uh, late 18th through sort of mid-19th century, uh, specifically in order to prepare um, the new, a new country for a new kind of citizenship. Uh, so the civic mission of schools was uh, crucial to their founding. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, Horace Mann, a bunch of others, wrote about the ways in which uh, our new country uh, that had this ideal, not at that time of universal suffrage, but of you know the common man, at least, being involved in government, uh, need an education to prepare them. And over time, uh, schools expanded, and who was invited to participate in public schools expanded uh, in line with the expansion of suffrage and the idea that we needed to train you know, more and more people, actually, to be responsible participants. Um, that wasn't always pretty, right? You know, the ways in which we thought, uh, or public school educators uh, and policymakers, thought that people needed to learn citizenship uh, had its ups and downs. So, say, at the height of immigration at the, in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, uh, schools turned their attention towards a very strong assimilationist movement, teaching classes in hygiene and other things to try to, say, take these dirty immigrants and make them, you know, clean and uh, responsible. Um, but there was also, you know, an immense commitment to, say, educating in math and English as well as Latin and history and other things in order to prepare kind of well-rounded citizens for responsible participation. And unfortunately, in about the last 50 years, that commitment to civic education, as messy as it has been over time, has waned in favor of a much stronger commitment to a kind of vocational education, not directly vocational, you know, training people to, say, manufacture auto parts or, uh, you know, be electricians, but uh, more broadly vocational thinking of schools as being designed uh, primarily to help people get jobs and be self-sufficient and to help the United States be the strongest economy in the world and losing track of our civic mission. So um, training people for civic life in the economic sector, but not necessarily in the governmental sector. Have you seen that in your career in education, Bill? Uh, Yeah, yes, I I believe so for the the most part. Uh, I guess I, I take exception with the assumption that uh, the lack or the the um, the influence of civic education has been a failure of the schools. I think that probably uh, it's much broader than that, and I would say maybe a failure of the society. And then and the, and the schools are representative, uh, obviously, uh, of, of the society as well. Uh, I think in its, in its broadest sense, uh, the definition of Civics education is the study of American values, and it it is interdisciplinary, um, and it has uh, and and in, and in schools it is is taught or are promoted in a variety of ways, not necessarily only through a course, but uh, through service learning, through uh, a variety of ways. Anyways, uh, so um, you know, if for my from my perspective, uh, and also I think there's another another piece here, uh, in, especially at the high school level. Uh, oftentimes, the civics course is a watered down uh, American government course, uh, and in that in that sense, it hasn't uh, it hasn't received the kind of uh, importance that perhaps uh, a political science course would that would uh, serve or 
an advanced placement American history course. So um, it has been tagged uh, in schools in school settings and perhaps a, a lesser um, academic sense than uh, other courses. So, Mira, you've written about the civic empowerment gap. What what does that mean, and um, what does it mean for democracy that that gap persists? Um, so, the civic empowerment gap, um, sort of most broadly, is the idea that essentially you uh, there's a huge gap uh, among citizens that is traceable, um, that, that is cor- highly correlated with demographic characteristics that basically predicts um, who is very likely to have civic and political power in this country. So people who are white, who are middle or upper class, who have um, college uh, education or beyond, have much, much greater civic and political power in this country than people of color, people who are low income, and people who have lower levels of education. And my argument is that that is essentially anti-democratic, right? We should not be able to... Uh, predict uh, who has political power um, based on these demographic characteristics. I want to agree entirely with Bill that schools are not the only or even sole um, institutions that are subject to blame for the civic empowerment gap in particular or for the diminution of um, civic engagement in general in this country. I agree it is a society-wide problem and unfortunately, um, though, uh, schools, as in so many other areas, you know, academic areas, character education, all sorts of things, right, are called upon to try to address this society-wide problem because they are the only public institution that touches virtually every American um, citizen or resident and family. Uh, and so we often uh, turn to schools to solve problems that are much greater than they are, but in a way, in a, this paradoxical way, schools are now on the front lines because whereas it used to be that, say, labor unions, uh, churches, and other houses of worship, um, actually workplaces, um, fraternal organizations like the Rotary Club or the Knights of Columbus and so forth, they engaged in an incredible amount of civic education and civic socialization as those kinds of institutions have um, weakened. Uh, even crumbled in many places, what we're left with is um, a uh, is a society that needs schools in order to help um, educate and engage all kids, especially uh, kids in communities that are right now um, at the bottom of the civic empowerment gap. So we know from our League of Women Voters research that um, more affluent, better educated better educated systems, uh, citizens tend to vote more reliably than others. Um, I think you're talking about those disparities um, and the role that that plays in civic engagement and civic empowerment. What do citizens need to learn to be effective in civic civic life? Bill, why don't you take that one first? Well, I think think in the broadest sense, uh, you know, the the definition of Civic education or, or the study of civics is about the study of American values uh, and its influence upon our political life, our economic life, our social life, our historical, you know, our historical, historical precedence. Um, so there's the concept of fairness and equality, uh, the protection of individual rights uh, and freedom, um, you know, to promote the common good, 
uh, and the ability to have a free exchange of ideas. All of those, I think, um, uh, really uh, uh, underscore uh, in most school systems uh, the social studies curriculum. I think uh, good teaching does promote these things, uh, and hopefully within a context of, of, uh, of uh, um, uh, good, good teaching and um, teaching kids to think uh, critically, uh, about those issues, uh, probably the thing that's most challenging, I think, for our contemporary teachers is the is <laughs> as as uh, as you teach these courses or promote uh, these concepts in a in a course of the challenges uh, in the greater in the greater the popular press, uh, TV news, uh, inter- internet, Facebook, and the comments of perhaps our current political season. Uh, it really is a, a, becomes a real challenge, uh, but also it's uh, it's an opportunity, I think, for teachers to use a very rich experience happening in our society. So, for the masterful teacher, the teacher who is well skilled, uh, they can take these concepts and then translate them into some pretty good coursework uh, and promote uh, and develop challenges for good thinking. Um, Thanks, we, Bill. We, that sort of thing. Yep. You're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU-FM. This is Ann Luther, the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our topic today is the civic mission of public education. Our guests are Mira Levinson, professor of education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, and Bill Richards, Maine educator and former associate commissioner of instruction for Maine. Mira, what what role, I mean, do do people have to really know how government works? Do they have to know how politics happens? Do they need practical instruction on, you know, the levers of power and where to exert influence. I mean, that you know, the, the values and the commitment to democratic values that Bill talked about surely is important, but what about these other more practical aspects? Yes, that's exactly where I was going to take this, is that while I agree with Bill that uh, learning and thinking critically uh, and uh, responsibly about American values is an important part of civic education. It's not. Um, it's not enough. There is also just sheer knowledge, um, and there's a whole set of skills uh, that are important. And I would just expand it uh, beyond um, solely government, right? Um, so uh, you had rightly brought up disparities in voting rates, uh, but I would also say what's interesting is that um, there have also been historically disparities in things like participation in public protests. Now, that may be uh, changing a bit, at least in the last couple of years, with, say, the Black Lives Matter movement and, uh, say, some of the um, rallies around the DREAM Act and so forth. Um, But uh, historically, engagement in virtually all kinds of civic and political action, and especially success in civic and political action, say, success in going and advocating for a cause to the city council or with, um, you know, an administration official in your, your local water board or whatever, also tends to skew much more towards some segments of the population than the other. And so I think it's really important that um, all kids, yes, learn very concrete, transferable um, knowledge and skills about how to affect civic and political change, both by working directly through government, directly with government, 
and also in other spheres of life in civil society, working with um, nonprofits and voluntary organizations, with faith-based organizations, thinking about how to use, in fact, um, for-profit organizations, companies, and other things, you know, in um, in civic engagement. When you when is protest the right approach? When is trying to change a law the right approach? When is filing a lawsuit and you know trying to get something through the courts the right approach? When should you try to get a viral meme, you know, through uh, Instagram or Twitter? Uh, all of these are components to civic engagement that are really important. Um, we tried. We had Colin Colin Woodard on our show, um, main author, a few months ago, talking about his recent book, American Nations and American Character, and um, you know the premise of his books is that there are deep, enduring cultural and regional differences in the American democracy that make it so that we don't necessarily share cultural values on a national basis. Um, So that leads to the question, you know, you're you're talking about a commitment to democracy, a commitment to the role of schools and other institutions in fostering and teaching democracy. Are there differences in our commitment to those um, endeavors regionally, even within Maine and um, nationally, and do those differences in the level of commitment and resource dedication lead to some of these disparities? What do you think, Bill? I don't think the differences in Maine are as, uh, as, as profound as they are in other parts of the of the country. Um, I think, the expe- first of all, the, ex- uh, the expectations with respect to education are really pretty much framed by the legislature. And historically in Maine, um, and maybe unfortunately, uh, at a minimum, it's been uh, two, uh, two credits of social studies as compared to the uh, English language arts and, and uh, mathematics and science. Uh, which are, are more that is that's a minimum and most school systems for example require uh, three courses in social studies so uh, so three credits that's all changing now because we're moving to a standards based uh, education program throughout the state and which will require proficiency based diplomas so there is a there is a movement occurring in this state based upon the common core and the main learning results that um, Pretty dramatic, and will have uh, will affect uh, certainly all aspects of of, 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 the, of the curriculum. Will so, that include civics instruction? I mean, do we... yes, it will. Yes, it does. It currently does as a topic, but it doesn't say a credit or three credits or four credits in civics. It just says two credits currently, mm-hmm. two credits in social studies, one of which can be uh, civics education. So then that that becomes the purview of the you know local school boards who determine, uh, you know, what the warrants an act, uh, a diploma, a high school diploma. But now the, this is all changing. We're moving towards a proficiency-based uh, model with uh, standards that were framed by the Common Core uh, and, and the main learning results. So uh, for the state of Maine, the m- most disparity that I've seen is I, most of my uh, superintendencies have been in southern Maine, there is there are some differences with respect to academic river uh, um, uh, rigor uh, and uh, you know the quality of instruction. And there are some differences because in my role as associate commissioner, I had an opportunity to visit schools already all over the state. But with this this new proficiency based uh, 
mission, if you will, uh, should have a really profound effect. Now, certainly, the uh, it's, education in the state of Maine is perhaps more homogeneous than it is uh, in other parts of the land, uh, so in let's, other parts of the country. Let's give Mir a chance because sure. to answer on the national level. I mean, what do you think about these disparities in co- commitment to these um, competencies and the resources dedicated to them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so as in basically every other aspect of American education, certainly at a national scale, um, civic education runs the gamut from being entirely ignored um, to actually being relatively prominent, still not as prominent as, uh, say, English and math and science education, as Bill uh, mentioned, is true in Maine. That's true across the country. And it is worth remembering that that wasn't always the case, uh, that this really, I mean, it kind of seems natural to many people that, of course, we would be interested in, uh, say, English and math and science as a primary things, but historically, both history and social studies more broadly, and civics in particular, uh, again, were seen as, you know, crucial uh, requirements uh, for schools. Um, So you have some states that have uh, high or low-stakes civics assessments, others that have none, some that do have actual uh, civics or curricular requirements, others that have none. Um, So there are those kinds of disparities. It's also the case that, in fact, uh, district by district and often even school by school, there are huge differences. So one of the things that Bill had mentioned earlier, which is really important, um, is that civic education doesn't happen only through the curriculum, only in classes that are called, you know, civics, right? Uh, They happen through school culture. They happen through student opportunities to participate in extracurricular activities like debate, like the student newspaper, like student government. And those opportunities um, have are uh, really inequitably uh, spread within <laughs> states and across the nation. So again, uh, wealthier districts, um, more educated uh, districts where families are more educated, uh, more um, uh, they and in states that are also. Uh, generally have higher levels of income and education, they tend to have more opportunities for kids to participate in those kinds of things. And schools and districts and states that serve uh, lower educated uh, populations and lower income populations tend paradoxically to offer fewer of those kinds of opportunities, which are exactly uh, the kinds of opportunities that kids need and families need in order to become uh, sort of fully empowered citizens. So what do you think, Bill, might be... um some of the remedies we could consider to close the civic empowerment gap. And we're, I know we're running out of time here, so I'll ask you to uh, be brief in your answer. You can, and we'll give Mira a chance to answer that before we go to last comments. Well, I think the, I think the uh, debate has to be uh, with the legislature. And the legislature, uh, legislative leaders need to come together. And if, it, if this is an, an important issue... Then they need to have the conversation, and as a result of that, there are there are a number of um, educational strategies, from curricular to um, to uh, you know service education to a number of different practices that can uh, you know uh, meet that challenge. Uh, but I think that it, it it you know the greatest society has to have a conversation about uh, their expectations with respect to civic uh, education. Uh, I think that's that's fundamental, at least in this state, uh, from my experience. Mira, 
Um, in addition to, say, uh, movement on the legislative front and the state level front, I do think that there's a lot that teachers and principals can do in their own schools um, now. They can uh, try to create more open classroom climates where students get practice uh, discussing controversial issues and listening to each other uh, respectfully, but also learning how to disagree and that disagreement is okay. Um, they can start, you know, student governments, student newspapers, and so forth in their school. They can look for leadership opportunities for uh, kids, and they can bring in pedagogies like action civics and, as Bill mentioned, service learning and other things that give uh, students the opportunity actually to practice being citizens um, and practice those civic skills, uh, which they do in math and English and science and everywhere else. We should also give them the opportunity to practice the schools, uh, the skills of citizenship even at young ages. How can we as citizens create a climate in which that kind of competency is demanded and supported in our local communities? That's a great question. Uh, part of, sorry, but, um, <laughs> if I'm talking, I'll go first and I'll go. Um, part of it is recognizing, uh, creating a climate in which it's okay for both teachers and students to make mistakes. Right. If we have young people engaged uh, and practicing the skills of citizenship, then often they're going to do things that people disagree with, that you know don't work out perfectly. And we have to say that's okay, just as it's okay to you know get a wrong answer on uh, a math assessment, and it's okay to accidentally you know have your science experiment go wrong. It may be that you'll say something intemperate or. Um, uh, ill-informed or something in front of, you know, the local city council. And that's all right because it's an opportunity to practice. So in part recognizing that this is a learning process and in part also uh, becoming involved in schools and helping uh, people. This is really hard work and uh, teachers can't do it, you know, alone in a classroom of 30 kids. They can really, I just they really share, could use help. I'm sorry. Yeah, jump in, Bill. Can Go I ahead. Just, can I just share, because uh, we're cl closing in on the, the hour, uh, in this, I, I, I've been superintendent in, in probably some of the, in a couple of, the, well, one of the largest districts in the state of Maine, and so along the coast, and some outstanding educators, and uh, a couple of my social studies teachers had law degrees, et cetera. But uh, something's very unique here in Rangeley. We've got a social studies uh, teacher, and we only have 200 students in this little school, but she is remarkable. And and really challenges the kids around all of the issues that we're talking about in her social studies classes. And I wish I had more time to to uh, share that with you. This is just this is just inter incredibly interesting to me. And the irony of this whole thing this 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 wonderful teacher originally came from Iran mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, left Iran and had uh, ended up uh, going to UVM and becoming an American citizen. The whole story, which she teaches with such passion and such challenging ways, uh, I'm, just, I'm just blown away, to be very honest with you, uh, at her competence and uh, how well she does. These kids have something very rich. And this little school of 200 in western Maine, in the mountains of western Maine, surrounded by lakes, um, uh, that you probably wouldn't think would be here. It would be, you know, you might see this at Cape Elizabeth High School. That's or pretty exciting. Or uh, Fabro High School, where I was superintendent of schools. So yeah. we're almost out of time here. I want to give you each one sentence to wrap this up. Any parting thoughts, Bill, very quickly? Oh, continue the conversation. That would be my pardon, uh, because it's really important for the group. You know, the greatest society to, to uh, be introduced to this topic and, and uh, the conversation. Thanks. I just, that's really important. Mira? 
Uh, I would say that for your listeners who are um, passionate about the current election season, um, it, take your kids along and talk to them about it. Uh, so include them in your civic and political engagement and then keep that going even after November 8th. Thank you so much. I'm sorry that our format was a little abbreviated this morning, but we are starting to run out of time. So I want to thank our guests this morning, Mira Levinson, Professor of Education at Harvard Graduate School of Education, and Bill Richards, Maine Educator and former Associate Commissioner of Instruction for Maine. It was a great conversation. Thank you both for joining us. You've been listening to the Democracy Forum, a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Thank you to Amy Brown, our engineer this morning at WERU, and thank you to our listeners. Our website is lwvme.org for more information about this topic or to learn about other shows in this series. We'll see you here next month when we'll be talking about the ballot questions on Maine's November ballot. Thank you very much. 